0: It is November 1st for Hangout in the Holy Land, Episode 4. We are roughly 12 hours out from the conclusion of the Ohio State-Penn State game. Uh, good Sunday morning to everyone. Uh, this is George Eisner, and I'm here with Gene. How you doing, Gene? I'm doing great. Uh, it's
1: always good waking up the morning after a big Ohio State win. You know, you just have a nice pep in your step. It's, it's a little different coming off a win against Penn State than it is a win against Nebraska that you expect. The, the better opponents give you more of a, a boost in the morning.
0: Oh yeah, even in uh, given the weird circumstances of the game, this is this was still supposed to be the biggest test, at least on paper, Ohio State was going to have this season, and uh, you know left left some points on the board here and there, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But still, uh, I think overall uh, a resounding pass with flying colors uh, in more ways than one. These guys looked really great on both sides of the ball tonight, and, or uh, last night rather, in different ways. Um, so yeah, we're going to get into just our immediate analysis of the game and kind of go over what we saw that looked good or looked a little bit worse relative to the Nebraska game. And, uh, then, you know, we got plenty of, uh, plenty of intrigue last night when we tweeted out asking you guys for questions. So, uh, we'll be sure to get to as many of those as we can as well in the time we have. So, um jane i i admitted to you uh i i screwed up what the start time for this game was and i missed a lot of the early parts of the first quarter which unfortunately uh included garrett wilson ripping off a, a wide 50 60 yard run to open the game on an end around so there was a lot of excitement early on um and you know i think i think for a lot of people and it just you know kind of a Unfortunately, the weird spoiled nature of this fan base, but once that kind of first quarter excitement evaporated, we saw, you know, a lot of, you know, the kind of mid game struggles that we eventually see mitigated within game adjustments at halftime, but still just. A lot of weird things with the offense last night. The points got left on the board. And, uh, yeah, just, you know, what, what were your thoughts about all that and how the game unfolded after the first?
1: Yeah, I thought it was important for Ohio State to get out to a, a good start this time around. You know, that, that start against Nebraska probably wouldn't fly against Penn State, especially because then, you know, they'd have kind of the confidence that they could hang around. And you don't want them getting that, especially in their home place, even without the fans. But uh, yeah, I mean, Ohio State got out to pretty much as good of a start as you could get. I love the play calling right out of the gate from Ryan Dater on that end around. I, we like we never run that play. We do that motion with the wide receiver all the time, and we never really give it to him. So that was a great play out of the gate just to get it going. And for the second straight year, Ohio State scored on their opening drive against Penn State without throwing the ball. They ran three run plays, one with Wilson and two with Teague, and got out to that quick seven nothing lead. Uh, then they got the stop on Penn State's first drive and immediately scored again, and it was 14 nothing quickly, and I mean, that if you're a Ryan Day, that was perfect execution. You couldn't have asked for much more, and the offense as a whole all night I thought was just excellent. Justin Fields is absolutely incredible. The man doesn't miss. I mean, his first completion of the game, once an in incompletion of the game, was once again a pass that hit a receiver in the hands of the end zone. And, you know, I like I had a hot take last week that he'd throw more than one incompletion this week, and he did. But overall, he was just incredible. I mean, he was making every throw. He was making throws on the run. He was making throws as he was getting hit. There was one throw he made to, over the top to Garrett Wilson where, I don't know how Shaka didn't knock it out of his hands as he was doing it because he was literally breathing down his neck, but he just dropped a dime in there. And, I mean, this guy is absolutely incredible. I think he's now the Heisman frontrunner. Him and Mac Jones are probably number one and two right now. And, uh, yeah, the offense as a whole, backed by Justin Fields, was incredible. The wide receivers were great. The running game was a lot better this week. And, I mean, things were just running smoothly. You can't ask for much more against an opponent like Penn State.
0: Yeah, Fields is now, what, uh, 48 for 55, I think, on the season, which uh, that's that's pretty remarkable through two games for any quarterback. Um, obviously, mistakes were very much at a minimum last night. That's always uh, good to see, good recipe for success in any football game. But I definitely came away most encouraged last night uh, by how the running attack looked. You know any any game where you've you know got a, a quarterback and Fields doesn't necessarily I think you know pride himself as much as a runner um, outside of the red zone. You see him used a lot more uh, as a quarterback runner when they start to get closer to the goal line. But when other than that outside, you see he really opts to just try to make more throws more often than not. And you kind of saw that last night with I think they I think he took two sacks. So he really only had four other carries the rest of the way. Didn't record a positive rushing total because of that, and yet Ohio State still ended up with over 200 team rushing yards. Um, I'm, I am I am kind of glad that we're starting to see that kind of 60-40 split in terms of carry, and it was a little bit more extreme last night, but I, I think that based on the way we saw Teague running, Teague definitely deserves to be the starting you know first and second down back um, that's going to give not only – Ohio state more flexibility when they're dialing up those early down pass plays and they can use him as a pass blocker but the guy just I mean we we already knew how explosive he was and um it was you know he it was unfortunate he was going to be coming off the Achilles injury and he probably wasn't going to have the same level of speed that he did last year but he you know his his side to side agility doesn't quite look like it's all the way back but when he was getting into those straight running lanes I mean he was just running with like like a cannon like it reminded me of Like Aaron Jones of the Packers or something just the way that he would just get you know shoulders square up and just plow straight through so he I mean he looked great you know Sermon I think is still getting comfortable and probably you know leaving a little bit to be desired he still finished with over 50 yards rushing on over 10 touches but I I think that we'll we'll see as they kind of need to rely more on pass catching backs as the season goes on Um, and we'll see how the the offense kind of becomes more dynamic but uh, I, I'm glad right now to see T getting the bulk of the carries, and yeah, I if the, if this team's posting 200 rushing yards a game, and uh, Fields is missing what no more than six passes a game, uh, regardless of how much he's throwing it. Uh, the, the it's going to be hard for anybody to stop this offense going forward, especially with the teams that are left on the schedule.
1: I think we really saw the emergence of Master Teague last night as sort of the the number one back. Like they kind of – they there was still a split, but at the end of the night, Teague finished with 23 carries. Sermon had 13, so nearly half – and I thought Master Teague looked really good. He you know, he hasn't he had some explosive runs. He wasn't J.K. Dobbins, but he had some really nice explosive runs where he was breaking tackles. He was hitting the hole hard. A lot different than we saw last week. And I think he looked really good. He finished with twenty-three carries, 110 yards, and a touchdown some good power running. Uh, a friend of the program, Patrick Mayhorn, had a really funny tweet that he said, Master Teague runs like a shopping cart going downhill covered in ice. And I thought that was really funny. And it is kind of like how he is. He's just like a straight, like, once he's going, he's going, and you're not really stopping him. So I thought the running game looked really good. And I think I think we're going to see a lot more Teague moving forward. I think he's kind of solidified himself as a top back, but I guess we'll see in the next coming weeks.
0: He, he does remind me of, of Carlos Hyde a little bit in that mold where Hyde was never the guy that was going to you know rip off those those 15 20 yard gains but he was always going to consistently be the guy that fell forward for three or four yards and you felt comfortable that if you gave him the ball three times in a row he was going to be able to get you a first down uh teague i think can be a little bit better than Hyde in that regard just because we we've seen the the top end speed he has to finish those closing plays but at least when he's running between the tackles and on those uh you know those early down opportunities and short yardage uh, scenarios. He's he was excellent last night, and I, uh, yeah, I don't. I, I I think you know a little bit over twenty carries is probably good for him. I don't know if I would want to see them lean on him any more than that. But anytime the you know the running backs or the H backs or whatever you want to call them are taking carries away from Fields and you know just putting. Fields in a situation where he's not opening himself up to getting hit uh, such as he was last week when he took the ball, I think, what, like 13 times or something. That's always going to be, you know, good, good standing for, I think, how Ohio State's offense is going to shake out. But um, I, I I think I know we want to get to the defense, but I, I feel like it would really be remiss at this point just not talk about how good Garrett Wilson was last night. Um you don't see a lot of Ohio State receivers finish with more than 10 catches uh, in one game. I feel like I, I can't remember what K.J. Hill's total reception record was last year when he said it, but I remember looking at the the leading numbers for like receptions in Ohio State history and just thinking that's, that seems like a pretty low number just given for a school that's had as much talent at the skill positions historically as it's had, but they've always just... It's always been a staple at Ohio State that the ball gets spread around a lot. And you saw that again last night with, I think, eight different players caught a pass. But, I mean, I I don't think we've ever seen another quarterback lean on two guys this consistently the way that uh, Fields has been able to lean on Wilson and Olave. And I'm just – what what are your thoughts about that? Do you think that that's a good thing? Do you, like – going forward or
1: yeah I think I mean KJ Hill was obviously an incredible player and he's one of the most reliable players on Ohio State's offense last year But I mean, Garrett Wilson is every bit as reliable as KJ Hill with the explosiveness and the spectacular plays to go with it. I think he's like the perfect wide receiver for this Ohio State offense, especially in that slot. I don't know how you guard him with like without putting your top corner on him the entire game. And then if you do that, you have Chris Olave on the other side who's just casually catching seven balls for 120 yards and two touchdowns. So you you really pick your poison with this Ohio State offense. Justin Fields is—I mean, he's picking with these two. He's sticking with these two guys for most of the way. But like, why not? I mean, they're. Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson have both been incredible. They're two dynamic wide receivers. They could beat you over the top. They could beat you over the middle with speed. They, they do it all. They have incredibly reliable hands. They don't drop passes. I mean, yeah, Jeremy Rucker got involved last night, too. Shout out to the tight ends. or tight end you out here. <laughs> two touchdown receptions for the Long Island boy. Respect. And uh, you know this, I don't. You really, there's nothing you could do against this passing attack to slow them down. If if you're covering one guy and other guys open, and it's just it's unstoppable, really.
0: Uh, I love to see it. I'm, uh, yeah, I I can't wait to see what the. It, it just makes me wonder what the end of season. I mean, even though we're only working off a nine game schedule, it's still gonna uh, seeing the per game averages when they're at the end for these two receivers. I wonder if they're both gonna be near the highest that any two receivers have posted. Not even side by side in the same season, but just individually.
1: It was the first time in Ohio State history that uh, two receivers caught over a hundred yards worth of passes in the first in two consecutive games. All
0: right, so I think that I think that bodes well that we could see two receivers here have you know historically great seasons by uh, the school standard in tandem, which I don't I don't think has ever happened in the entire time that I've been watching, even going back to the days of when. Uh, Troy Smith was leaning on Ted Ginn and Santonio Holmes and he had some Anthony Gonzalez there in the mix as well so it uh this this is as good a receiver tandem as I think we've ever seen and uh yeah with the the abundance of other weapons that are underneath I mean this this passing attack's got no reason to slow down anytime soon so um, we're all very giddy and very optimistic about the offense I think particularly after last night but um, let's. I think we have a little, a little bit more interesting or influx things to talk about with respect to the defense. So I, I said, I think, I think I said forty two twenty eight was going to be my prediction last week, and I, you know, that ended up in the ballpark of what the final score ended up being. Um, but I was, I was more happy with that pick just relative to I thought it was going to be closer to what we could expect from Ohio State's defense that you were going to see those those late game hiccups at the end you know I think there's a few different things that are worth mentioning here and you know I know I, I don't want this to be you know the the <laughs> the show where we get on the mic and we rip on tough board <laughs> every Sunday morning but I think one trend that I started to see at the end of the game last night that concerns me a little bit going forward is that we've we've seen that they're very committed to keeping borland in on the early downs and then third down they sub in the nickel or the dime package they get him out they either put the bullet in or they've got you know pete werner um moving into where borland's position was or they're bringing down a safety they're you know they're they're creating a more dynamic passing defense for those obvious passing situations but We often see Ohio State playing with a lead and they get ahead in these games, and then you know it becomes a situation where every down becomes an obvious passing down for the other team. And when that happens, they aren't really cycling out Borland as much, and teams are getting they're picking up on the cue that they need to be passing before they take Borland off the field. So we saw that. I think that was a little bit of a reason that Penn State was able to come back in the in the second half last night, particularly in the fourth quarter. But I'm curious if you are kind of worried about that trend developing over the season and if they're going to be, you know, perceptive of that enough to take out a, a team captain and not play him as much as they probably should be.
1: Yeah, and I mean, credit where credit is due. I thought Toughborn last night was excellent in stopping the run. He did a really good job, as all the linebackers did and the defensive line, in completely shutting down Penn State's run game. By the end of the night, I mean, Sean Clifford had 18 carries for five yards, and obviously you lose some yards on the sacks, but he, he I think, he had one first down run the whole night. And their top running back, uh, Devin Ford, had eight carries for 36 yards. So Ohio State's run defense last night was excellent, which is kind of crazy, because that was honestly our concern after Nebraska, because they built up over 200 yards rushing to Nebraska, and a lot of it was on that that read option style offense that we know penn state's so good at so uh, like last week we were like can they fix these problems coming into this game and stop that read option plays with penn state and the answer was yes they completely shut it down there was a play where zach harrison tackled uh clifford and the running back at the same time much like the sam hubbard play back in 2017 so i mean the, the run stopping was excellent but yeah like you said um they do switch out borland when they go to a passing scenario and they did do that last night on third down, but as you said, in the second half, Penn State started throwing on first and second down more, and you saw Ohio State start to get caught over the middle because they were throwing out those those linebackers. So I don't know how they do it moving forward because it does—I mean, this, the scenario they have working does work for a half, like you said, because they— they do. They when they run the ball, the linebackers are really good at stopping those runs. Tough boy, that's what he's there for. He's a good run stopper. But then when they start passing, he's a little suspect. And they bring in that that Proctor bullet look. So I don't know how they're gonna the handle the the snaps there. But I was pretty uh, I was pretty encouraged by what I saw overall from the defense. I didn't think there's anything overly concerning moving forward. I thought Sean Wade actually surprisingly got beat a lot last night. But I mean, Jahan Dotson. At some point, you got to tip your cap. Some of those catches he made, especially that that one catch with one hand where he just kind of falling along the sideline, just. Went up there and Odell'd it and ran to the end zone. I mean, that's just there's nothing you could do there. You just got to tip your cap and call it call it what it is. That's just an incredible play. But um, yeah, I, I think the defense overall played really well, and I don't think it's anything overly concerning moving forward from that regard.
0: Well, I was gonna bring up Sean Wade in a minute, but I guess to not not totally stay down as a negative Nancy on this, the the run defense overall last night was markedly better than it was uh, the previous week, um, or at least you know given gave us. A lot more reason to be optimistic. Um, I know something we talked about on the show last week was we were concerned with how, you know, Ohio State has just generally defended running quarterbacks in recent years. And you knew just given how much Clifford was used in that Indiana game, not just as a thrower, but as a runner as well, that they were going to aggressively go after Ohio State with that. And he ended up finishing, I think, with 10 more carries than any of their running backs did. Um and i you know if you i think if you factor out the sacks of which I think Ohio State sacked him five times last night he still sean Clifford still ended up with thirteen carries um but they they never let the quarterback end up being the main reason why they were losing or they i mean they weren 't losing at any point. But they, they didn't let the quarterback run beat them, which is something that we've consistently seen been an issue against teams that tailor their offense around that sort of thing. So you know, Penn State was able to put up nice throwing numbers later in the game when they're playing catch-up and they're down three scores already. But in those earlier competitive parts of the game where we're, we were worried about that read option attack giving Ohio State trouble, they did a really good job, I think, of you know showing why that's not going to be an issue. The defensive line is still just, you know, absolutely relentless even after they're having to, you know, refill so much lost talent and experience. Tommy Togiai finishing is the Anytime your defensive tackle ends the game as a leading tackler, you obviously dominated the line of scrimmage on I was, defense. I was about
1: to say, we got to give a big shout-out to your boy Tommy Togiai. His coming out party. A three-sack performance from that defensive tackle. He, he, had a game. he
0: was everywhere last night. I mean, he was in the backfield. He was tracking guys down just beyond the line of scrimmage when they were breaking through. I mean, he, he is just a full-effort guy that goes all over the field. And when you have that coming from... You know, one of the I mean, defensive tackle's just an incredibly difficult position to play given you've got so many, you know, big bodies on the other side. You're a very easy target to get blocked. And it's just really hard to make a tangible impact that isn't freeing up, you know, lanes for the linebackers to come in and make plays. So anytime that you see a defensive tackle like that kind of pop out at you on the box score at the end of the game. I mean, it really speaks to how brilliant of a of a game that they had. So I think having him and Haskell Garrett on the interior, Jonathan Cooper's already playing at a much higher level than I anticipated. I'm not sure why I doubted the guy for any reason, but he's just he's just been playing great off the edge. I think last night was Jonathan Cooper's best game as a Buckeye. Potentially, yeah. he looked really good last night.
1: Him and him and Pete Werner, him Pete Werner and Tommy Togia, I thought were the three key guys on defense last night that really
0: popped. Yeah, so, I mean, that I, I think that front seven, um, you know, it, we get the situational substitution, you know, stuff worked out, but I think otherwise that front seven seems pretty solid right now. But the the other low-key story last night was Sean Wade not looking super great on the outside, just given, you know, a lot of people had him as a... Big 10 defensive player of the year candidate and, you know, almost guaranteed first round pick, which is why there was so much controversy about him, you know, initially opting out of the season. And yeah, I don't know what, we knew Jahan Dotson was good. We, I don't really, I'm not really, you know, well-versed in terms of what his like pro prospects are in the grand scheme of things or anything, but yeah, I mean, he definitely looked like an NFL prospect last night, just matched up a lot out of uh, Sean Wade and Wade was playing you know i i know he's more used to you know just playing that the insider nickel role so you're not really playing as much soft coverage in those situations but he he really when he was having to play off the line last night he really did not look super comfortable and i think penn state was definitely taking advantage of that in the second half so do you are you concerned about that trend going forward with wade Or do you think last night was just kind of a a one-off thing where they weren't really having him go as aggressive just given how the the game was flowing?
1: I I, I think a lot of people are a little concerned about the secondary given how they looked in the second half. But I think it was honestly more of a... I could be wrong, but I think it was more of a scheme thing where I think Ohio State was playing a little bit more off the receivers just trying to avoid giving up the big play. I think they knew that they had pretty much the game in hand and they just didn't want Penn State getting any quick strike offense, getting a one-play touchdown, and really trying to seize momentum. So I think... You know they're hitting a lot of slants, a lot of stuff over the middle, a lot of quick stuff, and I think that's just a product of Ohio State kind of playing a little conservative, not really, not playing overly aggressive, and trying to you know miss one tackle and they're they're running for a touchdown down the sideline. So I don't I don't think it's a problem, and we have like six bye weeks pretty much coming up to sort out any of those issues. So I, I wouldn't be overly concerned about the secondary moving forward. We've seen what Sean Wade could do. I'm not really worried about it. I'm sure he'll he'll figure it out as the year goes on and they get reps. What we got to remember here is too, usually Ohio State has you know. A Bowling Green game and a a Buffalo game here to really work on their technique as as the cornerbacks and stuff like that. And, you know, the second game of the year, they're playing their toughest game. So I I think it'll get better. They're they're not as tuned up at this point in the season as they usually would be. And I don't think it's really anything to be overly concerned about.
0: One, One quick note, and you might be able to shed some light. Did we find out what Cameron Brown's injury was last night? Uh,
1: I don't know. There was actually... There was a couple kind of low-key injuries going on last night. I saw they were like... Luke Farrell was kind of like hobbling on the sideline at one point. I know that... uh the kicker Blake Hallbill had a groin injury, and that was the reason for our kicking issues. And yeah, Cam Brown went down late in that game, kind of holding his looked like his calf. So I, I don't know if he even came back in. I don't know if it was just a cramp or for something more serious, but I didn't see them talk about anything post game.
0: Well, yeah, I, I had heard, or and I guess heard these days is just oh, I, some guy on Twitter said it, but I, they. Uh, I I had read something that said that they had brought a card out for Cam Brown. So I was was concerned um, given uh, what that might mean. And um, yeah, just given the thin state of the secondary and the fact that, you know, the top of the secondary didn't necessarily look super, super great last night. But again, I mean, when you're playing catch up um, or you're playing against a team that's trying to play catch up for, Uh, three quarters you're going to run into those issues just with you know higher volume of throws it's easier for guys to make plays but I also think Wade will bounce back he's pretty sharp and he's just getting used to playing on the outside so and he's got two great games to do it coming up in, uh, in Rutgers and Maryland so not not necessarily uh, world beaters in the passing game, those two. Although, uh,
1: yeah, no no longer undefeated Rutgers. It's a sad <laughs> world. I thought, yes, there was a chance yesterday that at the end of the night, the two unde- the two only undefeated teams of the Big Ten East could be Ohio State and Rutgers. I was really pulling for them.
0: That was going to make for quite a primetime matchup next week, but it is what it is. So what given you know what we were kind of concerned about with the Nebraska game I guess between offense and defense what, what would you say left you most encouraged uh, just that whatever they've improved from or continue to look good from uh, relative to last week.
1: Yeah, I think the biggest improvements on both sides of the ball were the Lions. I thought the offensive line absolutely mashed all night. They were dominant. They were, I mean, we saw last week they kind of struggled on some third and one runs where they just weren't getting a push. That was not even close to the case against Penn State. Every time they ran up the middle on third and one, they got it easy. Um, and then on the defensive line, I thought everyone really played well. You know, uh, Jonathan Cooper, like I said, had an amazing game. Tommy Togi and Haskell up the middle both looked really good. Uh, There's some good plays from Tyler Friday, Javante John Baptiste, Tyreek Smith. You know, all these guys looked really good. Uh, there was one play, I don't remember if it was Zach Harrison or Jonathan Cooper, where they pushed the tight end almost into Clifford, almost like the Joey Bosa sack in overtime <laughs> where he sacked him with his own running back.
0: I don't remember which
1: guy that was. Yeah, it was Cooper. Yeah, so that was, they looked really good. So I think they fixed a lot of their line issues in just one week. And to do it against an opponent like that is very impressive. And just hats off to this coaching staff for really working hard to get ready for this game.
0: Yeah, the two the two big question marks I had for the offense coming in or to the season were uh Nicholas Petit Frere and Harry Miller. And I think Miller, he you know, there's he's still gotta get comfortable in the role that he's in. Um, he was okay last night, various stretches, but Nicholas Petit Frere, I think him and him and munford i i I saw i think it was from pro football focus they said that they were like the two highest graded tackles that they had this weekend or something something like 37 dropbacks no pressures allowed or anything
1: Thirty-seven pass blocking snaps. They didn't allow a single QB pressure or sack against two guys on Penn State's defensive ends that are probably first-round draft pick, like t- uh, defensive ends.
0: And I'm um, Munford. Look, he his big thing last year was. I mean, he was a great run blocking left tackle. But the money for that position obviously comes from you know your ability to pass protect. And Ohio State's pass protection at times last year was not the best. And I think a big part of that comes down to tackle play and being able to retain those edges of the pocket. And if they're not only getting a boost from that from Munford this year, who's you know supposed to be one of the best players on the offense, along with Myers and uh, and Davis on that offensive line, I think Davis, by the way, did maybe have the worst beat I've seen him get beat on last night. And like I think one of the two sacks he gave up, he just got you know beat on an inside rip move from one of uh, Penn State's interior defensive linemen. So uh, not. Not the best tape we've had of Wyatt Davis, but uh from for the in terms of the outside last night, I mean, if Munford is is giving you that kind of two-way security in both the run and the pass game, you're I mean, your your team's gonna be in great shape being able to run plays the weak side, which helps out Harry Miller as he gets more comfortable. But I think him being able to play next to those two experienced guys that are two of the best offensive linemen in the country, bar none is really gonna help Miller's development. And then that just leaves Petit Freer getting better. And, I mean, for as young as he is, I mean, to play as well as he did last night on the edge should be incredibly encouraging for Ohio State as well. He's a lot bigger than I thought he would be. And I I, 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 I get him confused with DeWan Jones sometimes because of that, just because he looks so much bigger than a lot of the other guys that are out there. So I assume it's Jones just because I know Jones is like, what, 6'8", six, 6'9". Six, but, no, Petit Freer's got... He, he's, 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 he's big and he can move his feet a little bit. So I'm, I'm very – he's got the physical profile to be great at right tackle for OSU. So I I, I just hope to keep seeing him being brought along. He, they they certainly look like they were putting it together last night.
1: Yeah, and we, we came into this season saying that, you know, Ohio State's offensive line should be one of the best in the country. And I think they're already starting to show – that that's very much a possibility. I mean, Justin Fields last night had literally all day to throw. They did a segment at one point like early in the first half where they were just showing some of his, his deep throws, and he's having like over three and four seconds to throw and had a completely clean pocket. So those guys really dominated last night in all phases of the game.
0: We love to see it, unironically all right um I think I think that's pretty good comprehensive analysis of what we saw last night given just how the game script went and everything so why don't we address some uh questions and concerns we had from the uh, Twitter brigade so we uh think in our our comeback uh, comeback recap show last week what we had you know pretty Pretty decent amount of response. I think we got maybe you know five of them or something like that. Last night, over thirty of you chimed in, so we we sextupled our our reply response relative to the last week. So we're glad that you guys were uh, were heated enough about whatever you saw last night that you felt the need to chime in. So we're gonna we're gonna try to get to as many of these as we can. Um,
1: Yeah, and just just as a blanket statement to all Ohio State fans out there, I just need everyone to realize that. Just because Penn State was 0-1 doesn't mean they weren't good. I, I, a lot of people were just like not at all happy or impressed with the outcome of last night's game. And you just like you going on the road against probably the toughest opponent you're going to play on Halloween night, full moon in Penn State, and like it, it. They looked the team looked really good. There's some nitpicky stuff to talk about, but the sky is not falling in Columbus. Uh, you would think by some of our replies that Ohio State lost that game last night, but I can I promise you they looked really good.
0: I, I do want to say this before we jump in that, you know, I made a big point about how this was gonna be, you know, probably the least intimidating Penn State road game they've they've had to deal with just because of no whiteout. I I don't think I've watched another game this year where the the synthetic crowd noise was more distracting than in this one. I whoever the sound engineer was for Penn State I don't know if they need to be investigated. I don't know if they need a raise. I don't know what it was, but I, I felt like the I don't know if they're regulating the decibels or something. If they're, uh, you know, they they were timing the, the cuts of the audience noise, like in terms of where it would go just from dead quiet to like just booming roar. It was so sharp. And and I so, I, so I, I don't know if the person did a great job or if they did too good of a job to the point where the players might have considered it overly distracting. But I uh, it was
1: weird. Like there was sometimes yeah. like Ohio State, we get like a six yard run on second down and like the crowd noise would go to like a billion decibels. And it's like, what what is going on here? Like there were times where I thought that Ohio State had like fumbled because of how loud the crowd noise got on just like a random run or a pass. And I was like, what is what is going on here?
0: yeah it was weird i can only imagine how jarring it must have been for the the players i don't know if penn state's players are used to like practicing through that or whatever but it definitely i definitely haven't gotten that kind of impression of crowd noise from any other game i've watched in college this year so i don't know they they're doing something weird over there in happy valley we got to keep an eye on them but uh in any event let's uh let's get into uh these questions that we've got questions comments concerns it's Seems like we've got a whole host of things uh, to choose from. Yeah, I'll
1: I'll start us off here. We got, um, at Will Kruger said, secondary needs experience. Refs weren't great. Play calling was too conservative in the second half for my liking. And I think, you know, all of those are kind of fair points. You know, secondary does need experience. And like I said, they'll they'll get it over the next few games. They got some pretty weak opponents coming up. Uh, The refs were definitely not... The greatest. That first half fiasco with the field goal at the end of the half was the dumbest thing I've ever seen. And Ryan Day was rightfully really mad about it. I I don't know how Justin Fields can possibly snap a ball, drop back, wait a second, and then knee in less than two seconds, but that's neither here nor there. And then conservative play calling in the second half. I think that there was a bit of that in the fourth. We were kind of you know playing it safe. We didn't want to let anything slip away there. And I'm fine with that in a game of that caliber. You just want to... It's the second game of the year against a ranked opponent. You just want to get out of there with a W. So I'm kind of fine with that in that scenario.
0: Yeah, see, I watched Jim Trestle ball for what felt like a decade. So conservative play calling. uh, You know, if I've got a totally different definition of what that means relative to what we see Ryan Day doing. So I'm... uh, I was... I was totally fine with the second half. It's like it's like I said man, with this team, I don't I don't know what their record is for scores in or, f- or I guess for results rather in which they've taken a three-score lead, but it's it's got to be over like 95% at least like all time. Like this team is when they when they get ahead by seventeen or more, I mean it, it's the game is just basically out of reach because the offense can turn it back on almost any time that they needed to, from what we've seen in recent years. And the defense does a good job of you know doing a bend don't break routine. And I mean there were a lot of you know, weird things last night that ended up, you know, between whether it was the Justin Fields knee thing or, you know, Hobby missing the chip shot field goal that I think would have given him a three score lead even earlier in the game. Um, Or no, I think that actually I would have just put them up 17 to three. But in any event, there were some weird, you know, you, you miss up some points here and there and it totally changes the way the game script flows out. But it's, I, I didn't see anything last night that left me, you know, with the impression that that's not going to be able to get worked out. So I, you know, yeah,
1: and Ohio State was two chip shot field goals away from that game being a final of 44-25. Right. So, I mean, that that looks a lot better on paper than 38-25, but. I mean, as we t- uh, touched on before, Hallbiel was hurt, and they had a, lit- a literal walk-on kicking field goals the rest of the night. So I don't think that's anything super concerning. And I, I don't plan on kicking field goals much the rest of the season, at least until maybe the Michigan game. But uh, I think I think we'll have time for Hallbiel to heal up and be good for when we need him.
0: It's going to be a lot of touchdown or bust from here on yeah. out.
1: Yeah, if we're kicking field goals against Rutgers, then I'm concerned. But um, moving on here. All right. So uh, at Morris Party of Five said complete annihilation and every break went against us that possibly could still won by double digits. And I I completely agree there. I thought that, you know, even though the final score was close, I I felt like, like it didn't really feel like Ohio State was ever in danger of losing that game. They were in control right from the first drive. And much like last year's game, where it felt like Ohio State dominated but just couldn't pull away, it's just something about that Penn State team that just—it doesn't let you do. They don't let you blow them out. And I mean, hats off to them for doing that. But I, I did feel like Ohio State did dominate for most of the competition on both sides of the ball, and then just couldn't. Like one break here or there would go against them, and it would keep Penn State hanging around.
0: No, I. Th- it's it's interesting because I think this game kind of had a similar feel to how the Clemson game started last year. But the key difference with that one was. Clemson never let it get uh, more out of hand than two scores. And, you know, once Ohio State had opened it up to a three-score lead, I think in the second quarter, uh, yeah, it would have been the second quarter uh, because Penn State didn't get the field goal until the end of the second – or the end of the first half, rather. But, yeah, they – any team that's going to try to play a track meet game with Ohio State this year is going to lose. And so when they got that early 14-3 lead, you felt you could feel that Penn State wasn't going to get to play the game that they played last year, which was that grinded out, you know, very bad inclement weather. So it, you're you know, not going to be able to throw as much as you want. This is going to be a game that stays on the ground, more conservative script, uh, scoreline stays closer, and you don't really get to open it up as much. Um, this year that wasn't the case. Uh, pretty much all those variables were taken out, and it was a lot easier for Ohio State to play the game that they wanted. And uh, at, that just made this. It, it was unfortunate that Penn State lost to Indiana last week because I think between that and the fact that you you could kind of tell how the game script was going to go at least in the early stages that it wasn't. It was never really as intimidating a matchup for me as I think that it might have been for some other people that you know haven't been necessarily paying as much attention to the conference in recent years so i uh yeah i i i think that they've got some kinks to work out but again the the offense is just so efficient right now that it's really hard to be upset about or you know get get mad at the other things that didn't work out as well without feeling like you're nitpicking so who else we got there's there's definitely no shortage cuz i'm scrolling through here No, nah, yeah we got
1: we got a bunch um at miller jj660 says goodwin need to clean up some silly penalties the run game was better this week but still need some work go bucks and i think all that yeah the penalties were really honestly one of the only faults of Ohio state last night there was some of them were a little ridiculous like i said there was that thing at the end of the half um honestly penn state's first points of the game were on a absolutely absurd roughing the passer call on Baron Browning that allowed Penn. They was on third down too, so Ohio State would have gotten the ball back with a chance to go up twenty-one nothing right out of the gate. And instead, Penn State got an draft drive extended for free and wound up getting a field goal out of it. So, the officiating last night was kind of suspect. But uh, yeah, I agree. The run game was was a lot better. Um, it, it's definitely not elite yet, but it's definitely looking good. Um, like I said, Master Teague was hitting the holes better. Trey Sermon still doing a little bit of hesitating in the backfield, but I think he could be okay. But I also thought we used the running backs a lot better last night. I thought we it wasn't actually like a drive-by-drive scenario. We kind of brought in Master Teague on some power runs, and we ran Trey Sermon to the outside, which is, I think, the best way to use both of those guys.
0: Yep, I, I would agree with that um sorry i got i got distracted a little bit just because i was reading someone that was really angry about the crowd noise uh they said it would have been nice to hear kirk and chris the fake crowd noise is too loud game wasn't fun for me to watch but i'm glad about the w and glad everyone's staying safe so i'm i'm glad that i'm not the only person uh that that feels like the crowd i mean i know you kind of wanted it to it too but i i've I feel like there more more needs to be made about that crowd noise last night cuz so it was it's was just so weird and there need there need there's got to be like a regulation or a commission for this stuff if this is how football is going to be going forward we got another free steel Chambers in here, too. We didn't see him at all last yeah, night. Yeah, we saw,
1: we saw no steel Chambers. I actually thought, and speaking of the run game, I did you think it was a little odd that like Justin Fields didn't really run at all? Like there was, I think Justin Fields had one designed run all night, and it was on like a, a QB. Key. He actually had two. They had a QB sneak that was one of those cool plays where they act like they're changing the play on the sideline, then they quickly hike it and run up the middle, which I love. They did that against Clemson last year, too. But uh, he had like one designer on the goal line that got like no yards. But did you think like you would see him run more against Penn State, or do you think it's smart to kind of maybe keep him safer early in the year like this?
0: He had I think seventeen carries in the Penn State game last year, and that was just way too many. And that was the game where I think he started having the the knee issues that kind of lingered around until the uh, end of that season the way that they used fields before that game last year was exact. i I was at, I loved it. You would never see him run on and except for when the situa- the play had completely broken down, and there was absolutely no other way any receiver was going to get open. If he was outside of the red zone, he was almost never running it. Um, and sometimes that would be bad to the point that he, you know he doesn't we've talked about how he doesn't throw the ball away as much as we would like. Is, you know he's really confident in his ability to make every play which is totally which is you know fine and understandable given his ability but we wouldn't start seeing him really you know make aggressive efforts as a runner until they would get in the red zone and they had been leaning on running backs so often you know between uh, the other spots of the field, and then they'd get down to the red zone. Teams are worried about the running back and short yardage situations, and then they just hit with a quick read option fake, and then Fields you know, goes around and scores from 20 yards out. Did the same thing last week against Nebraska when he had that inside spin for the uh, the touchdown run that I think was Ohio State's third or fourth touchdown of the game. So that's – that's the way that I like seeing Fields used in a, as a runner because it's lower risk and it's more, you know, contextualized play calling, which Ryan Day is really good at. And, you know, that's it just keeps Fields safer, I think, than just having him kind of mindlessly plow ahead on a second and medium with, you know, whatever read option play that gains like three or four yards. So he's we know Fields can run the ball, but I mean, his. His bread and butter for, you know, whatever he does after college and whatever he does for Ohio State this season is going to be his arm. So I'm I'm glad that we've seen more of an emphasis on that. And I think that the least amount of emphasis that is put on fields as a runner, the better, because that not only speaks to the passing game, you know, being more than enough. But then in those moments where you wanna use him as a rusher, you're gonna have a lot more success because he's gonna be more fresh in the and the defense isn't gonna be thinking about it as much.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. The less the less Justin Fields has to get hit this season, I am perfectly fine with. And then you know, a lot of our other a lot of our other Twitter replies here are kind of similar. A lot of people are a little concerned about the defensive backs, and like I said before, I think it's just you know it's so early in the season. They're playing their first real offense of the year. That was, the, I mean, Penn State only discovered the forward pass in the second half, but they did have some success on it. And it is worth noting it what well, they didn't look great last night, but they got a ton of games here against much lesser opponents. They got a lot of time to get ready for the playoffs because, I mean, they basically got a, a straight ride there with Michigan not looking. The Michigan hype train went off the rails this weekend, which is always hilarious. But I mean, I, they're not as big of a threat. That game's always going to be close, but that's really their only real game before the Big Ten Championship at this point. So the, the DBs will have a ton of time to get ready, and I trust Kerry Combs to make the necessary adjustments and get those guys ready to go.
0: Absolutely. No, I'm, uh, Rutgers definitely looks a little bit more formidable than in years past, but again, based on what we saw these first two games, I'm uh not overly concerned, but, uh, we will have, uh, a bit, a bit more on Rutgers later this week. Um, but yeah, I think for now, uh, you can look out for that on, uh, Wednesday when we typically drop our hangout in the Holy Land preview show. So we'll, we'll have plenty of, uh, things to go over when we've, uh, not only looked at uh, this most recent game a bit more, and we can, you know, then also give you a little bit more insight just in terms of how we think, you know, what we saw yesterday is going to flow into Rutgers and uh, what we can expect for that. So we will uh, we'll be back in your ear on Wednesday for that. But we hope you had a, a wonderful Halloween evening. Uh, you know, other than. Ohio State winning against Penn State. We know it was a, kind of a weird holiday for a lot of people this year, so hope everyone, you and your family, stayed safe and uh, found a way to have a good time. And, uh, yeah, enjoy uh, the rest of your weekend. And for Gene Ross, I'm George Eisner. Thank you for tuning in to Episode 4 of uh, Hangout in the Holy Land. And, uh, yeah, we'll be back with you Wednesday for a preview show for the Rutgers game. So
1: take care, everyone. See you Wednesday.